Well, good morning, uh, Orchard Hills. Hey, we are delighted that you have uh, chosen to worship with us this morning. Uh, my name is Jimmy Yeager. I'm a guest speaker this morning. And my connection here to Orchard H Hills is, well, I'm actually kind of a nobody. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm not on staff here with Orchard Hills. Uh, I'm not an elder. I'm not on the lead leadership council. I'm kind of like you. I'm just an ordinary nobody who is chosen and felt called to have Orchard Hills be the home church where I worship my Lord God Almighty and I seek encouragement to serve him the best of my abilities. I'm a nobody just like you and me. And spoiler alert, that's kind of our theme for the message this morning. Uh, the theme is that God just doesn't call the somebodies, but he delights to call and equip the nobodies like you and me to do his work of healing in the midst of a broken world. God doesn't just call the somebodies, but he delights to equip people like you and me, the nobodies, to do his work of healing in the midst of a broken and hurting world. So that's where we're going this morning. We're in the midst of a long series wrapping up a walk through the book of Romans. And this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 13. So if you want to grab a Bible and flip there or turn it on and turn to Romans 15, 8 through 13, there's some Bibles underneath the seats in front of you. It's found on page 1,125 of those, and the words will also be on the screen. The word of God for his people. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order to, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that is perfect. And I thank you for every heart that is here this morning. And we come asking that you would move and you would speak and you would encourage and you would change us. Then we would live out the words that we hear this morning. And God, if there is anything that we take that is not of you, may it fall on deaf ears but may we be changed and empowered to live the life you've called us to live as we're encouraged this morning. Thank you for the chance to be here together in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, like I said, we are ending a walk through the book of Romans. And as we've walked through this book, this letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, we've divided it into two sections. And back in January, we started and we looked at what are the basic elements of the gospel? What is this message that we're bringing? And Paul writes through several chapters that we are uniquely created in the image of God and to be in relationship with him. But yet as mankind and humans in our pride, we've said, God, thanks for life, but I think I know how life works best. And in our pride, we don't typically want to submit to an authority that's above us. And we've said, I can figure out how life works best. I'm going to pursue my own desires, my own passions. And we turn from God in what the Bible calls sin. And we see that impacting our lives and our hearts, and we see it in relationships and brokenness in ourselves and in the world around us. But ultimately, we see it in a broken relationship with our Heavenly Father as we've turned and not given allegiance to Him, but pursued our own desires. And then we got to an amazing verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that says this, but 
God. But in spite of all that, in spite of all our mess, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Yet while I, Jimmy Yeager, am a sinner, Christ died for us. And that's God's plan. God is a God that longs to bring restoration to the brokenness of his creation. That's who he is. That's his heart. He longs to see broken lives like mine and yours transformed. That's our message, transformation. And in our verse this morning, Paul kind of brings that to a close. He brings a summary of all of that. And he really begins it in verse 8, which seems simple, but it's incredibly deep. Let's look at the progression of what Paul writes in verse 8. Christ is a servant of the circumcised, the nation of Israel, confirming the promises given to the patriarchs, the fathers of the nation of Israel. And why? What's the result? In order that the Gentiles would glorify God. And Paul goes on there to quote four verses from the Old Testament. One is from Deuteronomy, a book of the law. One is from 2 Samuel, a historical book. One is from the Psalms, a poetic book. And one is from Isaiah, a book of prophecy. The four main sections of the Old Testament, Paul pulls from those and says there's a plan that God has. And it comes through this nation, Israel, and now it's going to outside of that nation to us, the Gentiles, to the world. But it really began a lot before Israel. It started with one man. And God came to this guy, Abraham. He was this old man. He didn't have kids. And God said, Abraham, I know you believe in me. And I know you believe I'm capable of anything. I'm making two promises to you. First promise is I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to put you in a spot. And you're going to live for me in that spot. And the second promise is out of you is going to come this amazing nation. And this nation is going to bless and change the entire world out of this one guy who had no kids, this amazing promise. And one night they walk through the land and God says, Abraham, look up at the stars. Every star you see, that's going to be one of your descendants that's going to dwell in this land. And as Paul is summing this up in his letter to the Romans, he says, church at Rome, You're fulfilling this. You're the end part of this promise. It started with one, it went to a nation, and now it's gone to the world. And friends, as Paul wrote that to Rome, he's writing that to us this morning. Out of one man came a nation, and now it's reached the world. That's what the church at Rome had realized, and that's what we in Roanoke today realize, the fulfillment of God's plan to undo the brokenness of the world around us, and we are a part of that. There's a great verse, I think, that summarizes this in Deuteronomy 4, 6 through And here's what it says. Keep them, God's commands, and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon his name. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? You know, if you look in history, there were several empires that were in power at this time. There were the Egyptians, the Persians, the Medes, uh, eventually the Romans and the Greeks and Babylon. And I've got a map here this morning, Scott will be pleased that kind of shows you some of this area. And these nations were kind of like a backward sea around the Mediterranean um, sea that we see. And there were two main roads that connected all of these powers. 
There was the King's Highway, which is what you see in red, and then the Way of the Sea, which you see in kind of that teal oranges color. And if you were to put these main powers on that map, and I were to give you a pen and say, hey, circle looking at these roads, circle at where would the center of all of this be? You'd probably make some shape similar to that white outline there. Now, what is that? Where is that land? That white outline at its peak was the nation of Israel. So here God, here's God's plan. He says, I'm starting with one. I'm building this nation, and I'm going to plant my nation in the center of the world. And I'm going to say, look to me and live for me. And the rest of the world will see this nation and say, whoa, there is something about that people. As we travel through their land and we see the way they live, they've got it right. They do it differently than us. They figured it out. What's their secret? And Israel would be able to say, it's our God. He is near to us. He guides us. He leads us. Folks, that's God's plan from the beginning. It's God's plan today. And we, as his church, are a part of that. One person changing life, building a nation, reaching the world. And this morning, as we kind of walk through this, I want to get practical and say, what does that look like for us here today in Roanoke in July of 2022? You know, one of the privileges I get in my life is I'm a volunteer leader with Young Life, and I get to partner with some amazing adults and some phenomenal high school students to ask the question, what does this look like for us? How do we live this out? And we've adopted kind of a, a catchphrase, a rally cry um, that describes this for us. We say, to do this, we've got to be bad. We've got to live the bad life. And that's rooted in a verse in John. John 14, 12 through 14, it says this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And if you look at that verse, there's three words that really stick out to me. Believe, ask, do. Bad, believe, ask, do. And we're going to drill into all three of those this morning. We're going to start with belief. And I think this is one we look at and we'd say, okay, yeah, that's not bad. That's a no-brainer. I see evidence of God undoing the brokenness of the world. I hear stories throughout the world of the church doing these great things. In the past two weeks, we've seen that here at Orchard Hills a lot. We had a team that went to the DR and did some amazing things, helping people that were hurting. Last week, we had 211 energetic children here for VBS, the cries and screams of which were heard throughout the Roanoke Valley. <laughs> and we saw amazing things happen. We would probably all say, yes, I see evidence of God using his people to undo the brokenness of the world. But I've got a question for you individually this morning. Is do you see and believe that God is using you to transform the world? Do you believe that God is using you individually to be a part of his story of redemption? And if we're honest, like me, being a nobody, there's times in my life I've said and answered that question, no. I don't feel I'm a good enough Christian to be used by God. And what I think we do is we create these levels of Christians. And we start at the top with level one, the grade A, the prime. And these are people that are in full-time ministry, and they are the ones that we look and like, ah, I could never get to their level. And then there's level two. They don't earn a paycheck for living out their faith, but they're 
very, very involved in church, volunteering all the time, and you see evidences of God in their life. And then there's level three, the nobodies. We're on the struggle bus, and we look at those first two levels, and we say, I could never get to that spot. And friends, this morning, I just want to call out what that is. It is a 100% bold-faced lie of the enemy that wants to make us unproductive and miss out on experiencing who God is. It's a lie, but it's very believable. I want to give you some images this morning that I think will prove that there is just one level of Christianity. Uh, I've got some pictures, and you can go ahead and put up the first slide. Uh, these is a group of people that we would call the professionals. They are in full-time ministry. They are leaders here and on our church staff. Just look at them for a second. Sutton's up in the left. He's dressed like Rudolph. He looks like the Easter bunny, like ready to hop away. Spee's on the right there. He's ready to join the circus. It's a nice little top hat. Uh, we've got two folks, two ladies in there that are trying not to laugh, hysterically dressed up as barn animals. And Stephanie's trying to be Mother Mary. I think we would all agree we've got some issues up here, right? <laughs> this is our leadership, our staff, people on staff here at church. And I just put these up to show you that they're ordinary, broken people like you and me. But they believe that God has called them to be used to undo the brokenness around us, and they act on that belief. Now, I know what you might be saying, Jimmy, I get your point, but these people ran VBS last week. Did you see what they did? Like, they are on a level that we could not get to. Now, that's somewhat valid point, but it's still a lie. Don't believe it. I've got one more picture. In case you're still wondering, I think this will put the nail in the coffin. You can go ahead and put up that last picture of another staff member. There it is. <laughs> our shepherd, our leader, our pastor, a.k.a. the Grinch. Uh, one of the things that I really love and appreciate about Pastor Scott is that when he's up here speaking, he is very vulnerable and honest to say, I'm a work in progress. All of our staff members are very humble to say, we haven't figured it out. We are nobodies like you. We are doing the best we can to live a life of discipleship as a broken, redeemed child of the Almighty God. And folks, I just want to remind you this morning, there is one class of people of faith. One, redeemed children of the Almighty God, period. Do you believe that? And do you believe that God wants to use you, a nobody, to do his work of redemption and healing to a broken and hurting world that is desperate to see that there's another way of life? Do you believe it? Because it starts with belief. Belief determines action. Now, I think this does beg a question, why is it then that we see in certain people's life, God just move in a powerful way and not so much in other people's lives? And I think one of the answers to that question is the second part of this, the A, ask. Now, be ready, write this down, get your pens, prick your finger, whatever you need to do. You want to make sure you take note of this because I'm about to tell you God's will for your life. God's will for your life, here it is. Hope you're ready. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says this, pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I know you're probably disappointed with that answer, um, but God's will for your life is to pray, and here's how this works out. I think what we want from God, and when we come to him, we say, God, here's where I want to go. He work, we treat him like a GPS. We say, God, here's the destination. Here's where I want to go. Now, you need to make it happen. 
And not only do I need you to make it happen, but I want step-by-step directions of on this day, I'm going to turn left. This day, I'll turn right. And I want a step-by-step plan of how you're going to accomplish what I want to do. I put in the destination, and you show me the step-by-step path. And that's a boring life of sight. Paul says, live by faith and not by sight. I think how God works in our lives is in GPS, but it's a God's positioning system. And you can go put up that next slide. Instead of a step-by-step direction, he gives us a dot. And he says, I'm placing you here. I'm giving you this land. Now seek me and live for me where I put you. And this dot is kind of a powerful one. This is Rick's business he talked about last week where God has planted him and he opens his doors and he prayerfully says, God, bring me people. Bring me people that I would not only fix their motorcycles, but I also let them open up and heal their hearts. And that's what we're called to do, to be positioned in a spot, but to ask for God to move and lead us and guide us constantly. Every second of every day, we need to pray, God, whatever words I speak, may they be from you and not from me, because I'm capable of saying some really dumb things. Move and speak to me. The people I encounter, may they be who you want me to encounter constantly, offering our lives to God, asking for him to move and show up and show off in our lives. We have to ask. I've seen this two times, two quick stories um, in my life. I was on Young Life staff with my wife, Beth, for nine years and kind of got to a point where I felt like God was leading me somewhere else. Uh, I felt like my gifts weren't ideally suited to be an area director with Young Life. Uh, The problem was I had no idea what plan B was. That hadn't become clear to me. So I started to pray and seek some counsel, and I called a great friend of mine, Jay. I said, Jay, I think I'm going to leave Young Life, but I have no idea what to do. And he's like, Jimmy, did you ever think of teaching? And I was like, no, not in a million years. Um, But that's actually a pretty good idea. And my heart kind of got stirred. And, And let me be clear. I didn't go into education because Jay said that would be something that's good for me to do. Uh... I started prayerfully pursuing becoming a teacher. And I looked at getting my license and applying for jobs. And as I did that, I prayed what I call the C-squared prayers, C-squared prayers, confirm or close. As I put out applications and pursued this, this burning in my heart, I said, God, if this is your will, open doors, confirm it. Make your plans work out for me, and if not, close them. And he did, I, got, I became a teacher. Now, on the flip side, Six years ago, um, Beth and I moved to Badatat, and I must confess, our first year was honestly really, really hard. I mean, moving's tough. We j- it just didn't click. We had trouble finding our niche the first year. A lot of things made it tough, so much to the point that we were like, God, is this really where you want us? And we had tried to pursue one opportunity uh, when we moved to Badatat. That door was closed at the time, but in our second year, we heard that door was open. And we're like, hmm. And so we pursued it. And that door seemed very clear that it was going to open. We were very excited about this opportunity. We felt it would do some things for us that just hadn't happened right away in Badatat. So much so, one night we took our family and we sat in a parking lot and we said, God, we're excited. We're excited about this opportunity. We feel you're leading us in this way, but we want to be obedient to you. Confirm or close. And folks, I'm a math guy. Uh, I ain't do no English super well. It's not like this prayer was special. It's not like there were the these and nows and I said some magical words. If I were to rate that prayer on a scale of one to 10, it was probably a negative three in terms of the language. But I think our hearts were genuine in saying, God, here's where we feel we want to go. 
but we want to be obedient to you because you, we know that you will only bless us and give us your peace if we walk in obedience to you. So if this is not of you, close the door. And a couple days later, the door closed and God put a confirmation saying, hard is not always wrong. I've got something for you here in Badatat. He closed the door and confirmed that we were to stay here. Folks, I think a lot of times we overcomplicate our faith. It's really simple. Ask. If we come, as it says in John 14, continually asking in his name, in the will of God, saying, God, guide me, lead me, help me to walk in obedience to you. The God that spoke creation into existence, that said Appalachian mountains and they appeared, The God that it says in scripture can hold the waters of the world in the hallow of his hand, that amazing God is fully capable of prompting your heart and prompting the hearts of others to accomplish his plan through you. But we have to ask. If we don't ask, we're gonna blindly go about our days living outside the will of our heavenly father. Ask. Lastly, finally, we need to do something. Believe ask and do. Follow the promptings that God puts on your heart. Um, I will forever be grateful um, to a young college student named Mark Bondi. Uh, Mark was very imperfect. He attended that university that's located up there in Charlottesville. Um, But he lived the bad life. And he decided that he wanted to go and spend his time getting to know people at Albemarle High School. And Mark got to know a lot of my friends, and all I ever heard about was Mark and how great he was. Now, in high school, I was actually very quiet and and shy. I was a little bit of a troublemaker. Um, During lunch, I would sneak into the library and hide in a corner, either by myself or with another friend of mine that was very shy. And we would eat our lunch in the library. You weren't supposed to have food in the library. I was a bit of a rebel back in the days, (laughs) um, living on the edge. Um, But I was very lonely. I was incredibly, incredibly insecure in who I was. I had no clear vision of what my life was to be about. Simply put, I probably wasn't a bad kid that was involved in a lot of illegal stuff. I was just simply lost. I was lost as what the purpose of my life was. In my junior year, I finally got to meet Mark. I honestly didn't spend a lot of time with him, but as being a quiet, shy guy, I watched, and I noticed in his life, I was like, whoa, like there is something different about this man. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is, but I know this. I know he has something. I know I don't have it, and I want it. The next fall of my senior year, uh, a friend of mine invited me to go on a Young Life Fall weekend, and uh, I had not done much socially during my high school years other than eat lunch in the library. And so I was like, yes, we'll do it. Took a little risk. And I went into that weekend thinking, uh, knowing I believed in God, but I had kept him in a distance. And for that weekend, the first time I heard and got explained what was going on in my life, that all this envy and insecurity was my own sin. And it was more than just believing in God. I needed to bring my whole life to him and say, God, here it is. Take it. I know that what I need, what I don't have is you, and I want you. And for the rest of my life, I want you, my heavenly father. Now, I wasn't really sure what I was praying, but I know my heart was just longing to know God and know him intimately. And I can tell you, I honestly don't even know the date of that. It was November of 19, sure, it's a long time ago, 1989. 
before many of you were born. Um, and I didn't know what would unfold in that. And I share that with you for one reason, is my story's kind of boring. It's not flashy or, or significant that we tend to uplift and put on a pedestal of needing this radical change. It was pretty simple. But remember, God delights to call and equips the nobodies. And one of the reasons I don't think we do things for the kingdom of God is that we feel our story's not big enough. Any work in your life is a work of transformation. Your story is amazing, whether it's exciting or like mine, pretty boring. God delights to call and equip the nobodies. But after that, my life was changed forever, and I got to begin to see how that would unfold. I became a Young Life leader at Virginia Tech, met this amazing woman, we got married, went on Young Life staff, eventually ended up in Franklin County, Pennsylvania, where I was the area director for Young Life, leading at Chambersburg High School. And if I'm honest with you, I would probably describe my time in Chambersburg from a Young Life perspective as a failure. Nothing, it just didn't click like we had wanted to and dreamt about. Uh, I worked amazingly hard, that may have been the problem, um, but it just didn't move like we had hoped in the dreams we had. But I did get to meet this one man, a young man, Travis, and Travis and I just connected. We were drawn to one another and just started spending a lot of time together. I was living in the heart of Penn State country, uh, and Travis's, both of his parents went to Virginia Tech, so that may have had something to do with it too. I mean, the Holy Spirit and the Hokies, it's all one and the same. Um, <laughs> And so Travis went with us to a, a Young Life trip to Colorado, and he surrendered his life to the Lord that week. And we started just spending a lot of time together and, and looking what it meant like to live this life out. He went to Clemson and became an engineer. He was smart. And uh, when he graduated, he moved to Afghanistan and used his engineering skills to design water filtration systems to, to provide clean water and the gospel of Jesus Christ to hurting and broken people in the war-ravaged mountains of Afghanistan. Now, folks, that's probably way more than you wanted to know. Where am I going with this? Here's the point. I think Mark, when he was going to Albemarle High School, I don't think he woke up one morning and said, Afghanistan, I want to do something that's going to make an impact in Afghanistan. Those of you that have been Young Life leaders, I know there's some of us in the room, typically you go to the high school and you're scared to death and you're thinking, there's probably nothing happening. But by Mark living the bad life, by Mark living in obedience to those promptings, my life was changed. And then Travis's life was changed, and Afghanistan was changed. Friends, redemption starts with one, a life, a nation, the world, experiencing God's transforming power. And a second reason I don't think we do things for the kingdom of God is we think that our impact is going to be insignificant, that our impact and what we have to give is seemingly insignificant, that unless we're preaching to thousands, unless we write a book, unless we have in these days a podcast or a YouTube channel, that we're really doing nothing. Again, that's a lie. One life. Redemption starts with one individual nation world. To wrap up this morning, I just want to share with you one more story. Uh, I'm wondering if anybody here knows the name Albert McCain. Albert McCain. Uh, I'm assuming that's a grand total of zero. Uh, Albert lived in what at the time was rural Charlotte, North Carolina. He was a nobody, but Albert was choosing to live the bad life. And he felt prompted one night to invite one of his boss's sons to this revival that he was attending. There was a very gifted speaker that was there for the week. And the young man initially said no, 
and Albert did not give up. He felt prompted and kept inviting this young man to come hear this amazing man speak. And finally, later in the week, uh, the young man was like, okay, Albert, sure, I'll come uh, to your event this night. And that night, that young dairy farmer heard a powerful message about his own brokenness, his own sin, and Christ offered forgiveness and redemption of healing from that sin part of his life. And that young dairy farmer that night surrendered his life to Jesus and said, for the rest of my life, I'm going to live for you. Pretty insignificant, somewhat boring story. And that boring story is the conversion of Billy Graham. Now, folks, when Albert was prompted to make that invitation, he had no idea what would unfold in that man's life. But I can tell you, Albert's got one seriously large spiritual family tree coming out of that one. Friends, as we close this morning, I just want to ask you a simple question. Are you living the bad life? Are you living the bad life? Or are you living for your own comforts, your own agenda, not believing that God could move in your life, not believing that you're good enough, believing the lie that we're insignificant? Redemption starts with one, but we've got to believe, ask, and do. I want to, like always, we're going to have a time. John's going to come up and sing a song. There'll be some people up front to pray. But I want to challenge you this morning to maybe write down an application or two from this time. I maybe want to point you to one of three things. First is, if you're here this morning, maybe you're kind of like me, and you believe in God, but have never fully gone all in and surrendered everything to your creator. Uh, there are people up front. There's also some church staff, Pastor Scott, Pastor Sutton, myself. Grab us in the foyer. We'd love to talk to you about what this looks like and how that life gets lived out. The second, I'd encourage you to look at your prayer life and maybe make a commitment coming out of this morning to say over the next month, 30 days, I'm going to make this commitment to pray. And you're going to ask someone to join with you in an accountability prayer partnership. I have a, a group of men that I deeply respect that we meet with every Tuesday morning. And about a year and a half ago, we were talking and saying, we just struggle to pray and we were honest with, with one another. And we said, well, let's do something about it. And so for 30 straight days, we made a commitment. We're going to pray at this time every day. And if we miss, we have to go to one another and say, mm, day one, I blew it. And we were transformed through that. God did amazing things as we pursued that. A part of that, too, is the frank cards we've encouraged you to write down. Make a list of people and ask. Ask for God to show up and show, show off in your lives and the lives around you. Lastly, maybe you've already felt prompted. And there's something that just excites you. And you lose sleep over it. And you can't stop thinking about it. And that's probably God calling you to something. And I would say, take that next step. Maybe you've been scared to jump out or just uncertain. Do something. Write down an application to make the call. Set up the appointment. Do something. Because redemption always starts with one. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. You are amazing. And you are doing a work that we could not even begin to fathom the greatness of your heart for your people and your longing longing to see brokenness restored. So I pray for every person this morning as we dwell on your word and reflect upon you, that we would seek you, you would speak to our hearts, prompt us, and we believe that you want to move, that you are moving in our lives. We would ask you for clarity, and we would respond and do out of the promptings that you put on our hearts. Thanks so much for this time this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.